good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. As we've grown more uh, sophisticated in our understanding of uh, the human body, uh, we've revised our understanding of when the moment of death occurs and how do you determine that. You know, when you were growing up, uh, you probably you know played cops and robbers or soldiers, uh, boxers. You know, people would would die, right? And how, how did you know they were dead? Well, they, you know, you'd pretend they'd stopped breathing or their heart had stopped, right? Well, of course, as we learn more and more about uh, the, our own uh, anatomy and uh, uh, as the neurosciences probe the mysteries of the brain and our central nervous system, we develop uh, other criteria for determining death, sometimes called brain death. While all this is happening, we're also getting better at retrieving organs for transplant purposes. And so you have uh, the desire to get organs uh, to save lives, and those organs can't be removed unless a person is declared dead. Uh, For those who want to procure organs, uh, they have Again, I don't mean to impugn any negative, bad motives here, but they have a drive to uh, be able to declare the moment of death earlier so they can save those organs. So there's a big debate, and it's, it's, people are concerned about the epistemic criteria. How do we know when death occurs? And we've got folks who are concerned about uh, a third-party interest in retrieving organs so that it's not just you and your doctor, the family and your doctor determining time of death. You also have those who are considering use of organs. Well, with me right now to help make sense of this, especially from a Catholic perspective, is Dr. Stephen Doran. Uh, Stephen's been with us many times on this program. He's a practicing neurosurgeon in Omaha. He's a member of the state of Nebraska COVID-19 task force. He was ordained to the permanent diaconate uh, just last May. And he's a bioethicist for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Uh, he is a co-founder, along with his wife Sharon, of uh, the uh, Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, which is very good. And Stephen, good to have you back. Thanks. Thank you, Al. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I know you've written professionally about this, and you've been really uh, paying attention to this whole uh, story. Why don't you develop the storyline for us? Uh, how did this become a matter of grave concern for Catholics. Well, I think uh, I'm, I'm glad you kind of already set the table here a little bit in this idea that uh, to obtain organs for transplantation, um, the person who's donating them has to be dead, certain organs right. anyway, you know, like heart and lung and things like that. So that's what's called the dead donor role. And so um, in order to obtain the organs, the person has to be dead, and those organs are best um, preserved, for lack of a better word, if the heart is still beating, mm-hmm. okay? That once the heart stops beating, the organs start to deteriorate. So, so that's where this idea of uh, determination of death by brain function has come about. And it's been widely accepted for many years. And in fact, John Paul uh, and even Benedict gave what I would call provisional uh, endorsement of this, mm-hmm. uh, these criteria. And, um, but with also the understanding there cannot be any doubt, there cannot be any um, 
concern that maybe uh, we're wrong about it, that maybe the person wasn't actually dead. Mm-hmm. And also, I do want to emphasize that they've said that uh, organ donation is an act of charity, and, right. and, um, and it's a very good thing in and of itself. But, but the problem comes is that with our ability to uh, support people who are critically ill, um, we've developed ways of supporting uh, people now that were not possible years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's created these challenges where people who were um, met the criteria for being brain dead uh, didn't die. Um, they were kept on a ventilator for a variety of reasons. And one uh, example is there is, in the literature, more than 20 cases of women who are pregnant who are declared brain dead and kept on ventilators and uh, for weeks or uh, even longer, months in some situations, to allow the pregnancy to continue. Wow. So that, that challenges our ideas. Like, well, wait a minute, if this person is dead, how can the baby continue to grow and gestate? Yeah. And then there's also been very um, notable cases, uh, uh, some of which have uh, been publicized a lot in the, in the press. There's this Jahai McMass, she was a young girl who, um, after tonsillectomy uh, at age 13, was declared brain dead after a terrible complication. And her parents did not accept that, and so she underwent multiple evaluations of, of people who said she was brain dead, and, and the parents disagreed with the plan to discontinue care. And she ultimately was transferred to another place where she was cared for, and she lived for quite a while after that. And, in fact, she grew, started to uh, menstruate and, and, you know, develop normal uh, function. So, so we're challenged by these, these things. Now, yeah. granted, they're rare, but, but they're there. Right. So that's led, that's led even non, it's led secular, it's led secular ethicists to say, hmm, we've, we've got a problem here. Yeah. <laughs> what we yeah. thought is, what we thought was a situation where it was clear cut that, hey, our, our best testing shows that these people are dead, or at least their brain is dead, therefore they are dead. But now we're faced with this quandary. So even, Secular ethicists have recognized that our current standards are probably not accurate, they're not sufficient, and need to be looked at again more closely. So that kind of sets the stage for where we are and why there's been this desire to revise the guidelines for uh, the ability to take um, uh, organs from something. So uh, we need organs. Uh, To get organs, Mm -hmm. the person has to be dead. Brain death is the criteria we're using. Um, but uh, in some cases, the person, quote, lives on indeterminately, that must mean something's not dead. Um, So what is it that's keeping the person alive? Well, that's a good question. Um, What what probably is, uh, well, first of all, the the idea was that if the brain was dead, the the body no longer functions as an integrated whole. That's right. kind of the theory behind it. Yeah. And and so, but but it's hard to imagine a person being pregnant and still gestating, not being integrated in some way. In so some way, maybe right? The brain, yeah. So maybe the brain isn't actually the the sole source for integration, or maybe they weren't brain dead to begin with, or maybe parts of the brain were still alive and we couldn't determine that. So it raises all sorts of doubts. And so I think what might be a common uh, theme in these cases who've lived on is the fact that there's probably was a portion of the brain that's difficult to measure its function uh, is what's called the hypothalamus. Yes, okay. Uh, the hypothalamus is a part of the brain that's involved in a number of functions, including hormone production, but also things like your, your sleeping and waking cycle, uh, your appetite, uh, a number of very critical functions. 
And what's probably happening is patients who were declared brain dead actually still had a functioning hypothalamus. Mm -hmm. And so their hormonal function continued, their blood pressure continued to be regulated, and, um, and so that probably is what happened. So, so now what that led to this proposal that was put out last year is like, okay, I think everybody agrees you probably need to take a, a look at this, these criteria. And it seems that maybe people have functional hypothalamus, uh, functional hypothalamus, and, well, let's, let's just change the criteria. We're going to exclude the hypothalamus from the <laughs> right, brain. We're no right. longer going to call it part of the brain, or really we're not going to call it part of the criteria for brain death, and that kind of gets us over this conundrum that we have. Yeah. As long as every other part of the brain is dead except the hypothalamus, we're going to kind of ignore the hypothalamus for a minute. Right. It's fine, and we can go on. And that's a problem. Yeah. That is a problem. And, yeah. and, and a large number of ethicists, both secular and faithful Catholic and otherwise, have said, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you can't change the rules just so you can keep doing what you're doing. You know? And yeah. so there's been a strong pushback on this. And, and, and that's the current uh, situation that we're in right now is that you know, you just you you you're you're trying to um, create a situation where the rules don't work anymore, so we're going to change the rules so we can still keep uh, yeah. obtaining organs. Changing the goalpost, right. really. I mean, this is yeah. what everybody's suspicious of. In the rules of the game, uh, all of a sudden you're not winning anymore, so you change the rules. That's what it feels yeah. like here. Um, but it does, and and. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I and I don't. I don't want to be. Uh, I I don't mean to be smirking about this. It's just that it is, it is funny because complex as this is, it really does come down to, is there is is there any is this a fair way of rewriting the rules because the rules are being rewritten, and I guess, what, uh, what are the other options? Are there any other ways? Uh, you know, all of a sudden we say we have brain death. But, oh, I guess we don't because we've got uh, a hypothalamus that's still functioning. So it's now subtract the hypothalamus from the definition of brain when we're talking about brain death. Yeah, and, and I and thank you. I agree with you. It's in, that we, this is an important subject of where, where people's lives are at stake. And when we take this very, very seriously, but yeah. yet in some ways it's, it does strike at us as odd. But yeah. to answer your question, yeah, what are the other options? Well, one option would be to go back to the way it was that you described at the beginning of the show, is that you're dead when your heart stops and when you're not breathing, mm-hmm. and then you're dead. You know, and, and, and I think everybody agrees that that is the most safest way, I guess, for lack of a better word, of defining someone being dead. But the problem is organs deteriorate very quickly. Now, um, there have been some organs, uh, kidneys, uh, sometimes livers, that have been obtained after someone's uh, heart stops beating and they're no longer breathing, um, and they do pretty well. They're not as those uh, transplants are okay. They're not as good as if the the heart and lungs were still working. It becomes a real quandary for a heart transplant, you know. Mm-hmm. And and um, can you take a a heart from someone who's um, passed away because they've stopped breathing and their heart stopped? Is that heart even yeah. functional or not? Yeah, and right. There have been a few cases in the pediatric literature, but the bottom line is what one solution is you, you throw away brain death altogether and you go back to uh, um, the old ways. And you know what? The organ transplants, people have to figure it out. They have to figure out a better way, how to preserve organs, improve their techniques uh, to make these viable organs. I don't know that there's a whole lot of um, people who would go for that, but that's, that's one option. Um, you know, one option that I proposed in a paper that I wrote was Okay, if there's some concern about brain death, yet it's still widely accepted, um, 
you know, there is, there is a way you can combine the use of brain death criteria with someone taking someone off the ventilator in a very controlled fashion okay. and still have viable organs. So maybe combining those two might okay. be a solution. Well, why don't we but hold it? This is complicated. Yeah. Okay, uh, good. Steve, let's hold it there. We'll take a break, come back, and pick up this kind of uh, merging of criteria and let you uh, develop that a little bit more for us. My guest is Dr. Stephen Doran, uh, practicing neurosurgeon in Omaha. We're looking at the question of organ donation, the declaration of death, how to combine neurological and cardiopulmonary standards. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm talking with Dr. Stephen Doran uh, about uh, a number of related matters, uh, determination of the time of death, uh, uh, organ uh, donation and uh, organ transplant. Uh, and as you know, if you were listening to the last segment, that we've had changing definitions of death, uh, moving from uh, cardiopulmonary uh, criteria to then brain death. Now we're learning that uh, in cases of brain death, uh, the hypothalamus uh, doesn't necessarily die, and people can actually live on, uh, in some cases, uh, pregnant women uh, who, by our standard criteria, would be determined dead, actually end up, uh, the baby continues to uh, develop uh, in the womb. And uh, the question is then, well, uh, maybe uh, she's not as dead as we thought she was. What does that mean? And of course, uh, in order to legitimately uh, retrieve organs, you've got to have a very clear definition of death. Otherwise, the possible abuse is enormous. So my guest, Dr. Stephen Doran, practicing neurosurgeon, um, has actually been writing and publishing uh, in this area. And uh, in a, a piece that ran in the Lineker Quarterly, uh, he looked at organ donation and de the declaration of death and also combining the uh, neurological and the cardiopulmonary standards. So help us unpack that, would you, Stephen? Yeah. So, Al, first of all, I, this show is, if it's not the most valuable show on Catholic Radio, it's got to be one of the top three because the, the, your willingness to tackle issues like this or your previous uh, segment um, issues with the Supreme Court, this is super valuable, and, and it takes time. These aren't sound bites, and thank you for dedicating the time for these things that are super important, uh, but they're not, they're not easy, and, and they, they take time to unpack. So uh, great no. show in so many ways, so thank you. Thank you. Um, so, so here's the, one of, what, this, what this is related to, and I think a lot of people don't realize this either, is there's another way you can get organs for, for transplantation, and it's uh, being used in a growing number of cases where a patient is not brain dead, okay, but they are severely injured in some way and not expected to wake up ever. Mm -hmm. There's this criteria where you say, okay, this person is not brain dead, probably is never going to meet brain dead criteria. So we are going to actually take them to the operating room, take them off the ventilator, allow them to die in a very controlled fashion, and then take their organs at that point. Mm -hmm. And that's what I call the cardiopulmonary criteria. Most people really haven't heard about that. It's not as well known, 
but it's being used more and more cases. Now, that has its own set of problems that, you know, we don't have time to go into, but it's being used more and more. You know, the basic question is, well, how sick do you have to be before someone can take your organs? Or right. what if I'm a what if I just don't like living and uh, go ahead and take my organs? So it's got its own set of problems. But that, that has been used and it is being used in, in a growing number, and you can get viable organs in that manner because mm-hmm. it's done in a prepared fashion. Kidneys, like I mentioned, livers to some degree, hearts, uh, that's a tough one. Yeah. So, so you've got two criteria out there for the ability to obtain organs. Both have problems. Both have, in my opinion, significant problems. Yet, we cannot ignore the need, the desire to help people who are in desperate need of these organs. And, and there's a lot of suffering that could potentially be alleviated. And um, so we've got these competing interests that are out there. So one thing that I proposed was, okay, we've got these two criteria, both with problems. What if, what if we take both criteria and combine them together? That mm-hmm. is, in order for you to obtain someone's organs, number one, you have to be brain dead as best we can determine. Knowing that there's some amount of doubt in there, Okay, we accept the fact that there's some doubt. We can't determine with 100% accuracy that they're brain dead, but we, by our best standards, we're going to say this person is brain dead. But since there is this doubt that maybe they're not actually dead, then you do the next step is then you take them to the operating room, and then you take them off the ventilator, and then you make sure they don't breathe on their own and that their heart actually stops. And then they're also dead in the, in the, in the more historical sense. Mm-hmm. So you combine those two together, so you end up with a situation where you, you, take, you, you, you at least mitigate partially the, the, the problems that both of, either of them have on their own. So brain-dead patient, take them to the operating room, take them off the ventilator, make sure they don't breathe, make sure their heart stops, right. and then take their, their organs. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's something I've put out there. I, you know, I, I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of enthusiasm. It just adds a another layer of complexity, and I think, by and large, people just want to keep using the brain death criteria because it's pretty, uh, it's pretty straightforward in, in, in many people's minds, so they just, just assume not make things more complicated if they don't have to, but, but th- there's, there's a problem here, and, and, and it's being recognized more and more by people, and there's, there, there needs to be a solution for it. You know, the, the question comes, well, why, you know, maybe for your average listener, what, what does this matter to me? I'm probably not going to need an organ transplant. I probably never know someone needs an organ transplant. I think it's because, like so many life issues, when you're kind of out on the periphery, it's still central and fundamental. The sanctity of life needs to be honored in all situations. And if you start fudging, if you start, you know, inching in any area, well, you know, watch out. You know, we're we're headed for trouble. And And this is important, even if it seems kind of esoteric and on the fringe that doesn't matter to you in your life, this does matter to you. It should matter to you. You know, I, I agree, and and certainly these are the kind of issues you want to have thought through uh, when you are healthy and <laughs> you have the the time to think through them because you, these are not the decisions you want to make uh, in a, in a moment of crisis. Uh, there, I mean, is there some do from a theological point of view? Uh, is the question of the moment of death something we actually can't establish? I mean, from a, a this is God's determination. Is it outside of our? I mean, we do the best we can, of course, but in terms right. of in terms of absolute knowledge, uh, is that something which uh, we should recognize we we are not going to we're not going to be able to get. 
You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because you're you're exactly right. I mean, the church, while recognizing the the biological uh, reality of death, you know, death is really an ontological change. Yeah, yeah. It's the separation of the soul from the body. That's when death occurs, and yeah. you, there's no way to measure that. Right. We can't. There's, that's outside the the scope of science. And so the church, you know, the church kind of says science, you've got to figure things out to the best that you can. Mm-hmm. But really, the question of death is one of faith, and it's an ontological change. It's a change of being, you know, that, we, that happens that's profound and fundamental. And so it is very important that the, the theological things of these issues undergird your decisions. Now, the, the exit of the soul will never be able to use that as a brain death criteria right. or any type of criteria, but yet... That has to be in the back of our minds and in our hearts whenever we're thinking about um, decisions and policies and criteria and all those things that, you know, things like this can get a bit abstract. We start thinking about organs and and ventilators, and and we forget sometimes there's a temptation to forget about this is a soul. This is a human soul at at stake here. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, and and it is, for those of us... uh, who are Catholics and other Christians as well, uh, who, who do, we tend to see the moment of our death as, uh, how, can, how do you put it, it's, it's, a, it's a, a quasi-sacred moment. We may not experience yeah. it that way when we undergo right. it, but we, we, we mm-hmm. pray, uh, you know, ask the Blessed Virgin, uh, uh, be with the moment of our death, you know. Um, so this is this is it has a theological dimension to it that we shouldn't lose. I agree. Do you think then that the provisional, um, the provisional uh, acceptance of the brain death criteria that we see in John Paul II and Benedict XVI, and again the important thing is that it is provisional, is it time to revise that then? Well, I, you know, I think like many things it needs to be looked at at least okay. you know and 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 i'm not pretending to say that that you know mine is the final opinion on this and no one else you know i i think there there this is this is what i love about the church it, it tends to rely upon you know healthy uh robust thoughtful careful discussion so does the yep. church need to kind of rethink this i don't know maybe but yep. but but that's that's something that at least needs to look at and consider uh, about this, and, and the church has done that in other ethical issues. I mean, gosh, you just think about things about uh, infertility that weren't possible, you know, 20 years ago, yeah. now, that are now commonplace. So the church has had to go back periodically and say, okay, based upon what we already believe to be true, we have this new information. Now let's reflect. What does that mean for us now? Mm-hmm. Ongoing reflection of what science presents to us is one of the things that I love most about the church. The church isn't static. The church. Is right. it's, it's alive and active in the world, just as Vatican II wants and encourages the Church to be, and, and, and this is an example of that, yes. of the Church being a part of the world and, and, and integrated into the world, and that means as things, as you learn more, you reflect more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to answer your question, does the Church need to re, uh, change? I don't know, but I, I think it needs to at least look at it and right. do it in a very thoughtful, prayerful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is something that's not going to be. Uh, there's we we do accept that. again. This is one of the things I love about being Catholic too, is that we're entirely open to science and in, 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 incre- in increased knowledge, and we we understand science has its limitations. But uh, to the degree that we can uh, have uh, scientific criteria, that's good. That's a good thing to have, not a bad thing to have. It's a good thing. And I'm wondering, as you look over the landscape here. 
and you know, and, and people have kind of congregate together and they develop into factions and uh, various debates are going on. Uh, is there a group of uh, thinkers, of, uh, uh, physicians, uh, theologians, lawyers, uh, uh, philosophers, who are uh, actively uh, encouraging a rethinking of the definition of death uh, and who you can identify as uh, out beyond beyond what we can accept as Catholics that they're actually dangerous theologically speaking. Well, I, I do think okay from from a, the within the Catholic world there certainly are you know at um, you know like the Pontifical Academy for Life considers these things and issues uh, in the United States there's the National Catholic Bioethics Center so there definitely are uh, very um, important groups of people who are Catholic who look at it purely from, well, primarily from a Catholic perspective, right. but mm-hmm. there is, there's, there's also a, a large number of people who share no common interest in faith who are coming together and saying there's a problem here, and this, this is where this paper came out that you referenced at the beginning, and so yeah, this, is, this goes beyond just Catholicism. Very good. Steve, well, we'll talk again. Uh, love your work, and thank you for being with us today again. Thank you, Al. God bless. Dr. Stephen Doran, uh, we will have uh, you know, follow-up information for you in the Cresta Guest Archives. I'm Al Cresta.